0: Hi Janina. Hi Emma. How you doing? Not bad. How are you doing? I'm alright.
1: I'm alright. Busy, busy. Yeah. Yeah. Working yeah. away, you know,
0: constantly doing something. Yeah, there's never nothing. It's turns never out. nothing. It's
1: my turn to have a book out now, so doing all of the bits where publishers are like, do you want to go and talk to these people and these people and these people and these people? Someone, I think every podcast in the Western Hemisphere. <laughs> In the next week or so. So sorry if I appear on literally every podcast everyone listens to. A History of the Roman Empire in 21 Women is out on the 7th of September in the UK and the 7th of November in the USA. Visit emmasuthan.com to find out where to get it. Janina's latest book, meanwhile, is called Beach Rivals and is published under the nom de plume Georgie Tilney. It's also available right now.
0: But it will be perfect because it will be interesting and fun. I haven't yeah. uh, I got my copy of the book the other day, but I haven't read it yet. I'm very excited. It used, I was very pleased to see that you started it with a quote from uh, my favourite unsung Jane Austen, <laughs> in Northanger <laughs> Abbey.
1: Yes, it's a great quote. It's a great quote. Yeah, about I can't believe that history is so boring when most of it must be made up and there's yeah. no women in it.
0: Yeah. There's no women.
1: <laughs> Yeah, so... And all the men so good for nothing. And all the men so good for nothing. Actually, there's a great quote from one of the women in today's episode where one of the 19th century debutantes wrote in her diary that like, having been introduced to men basically that weren't related to her for the first time in her life, she wrote in her diary, ugh, how can mortal (laughs) men be all so ugly? (laughs)
0: It's nice to know that, like, because we have this problem in society now, I think, when whenever you have a friend who wants setting up with someone, if they're a, a man who is interested in women or a woman who is interested in women, you're like, I have 20 for you. <laughs> and if there's someone who is interested in men, you're like, mm. uh,
1: Yeah. <laughs> that is going to come up a lot this week, because this week we are talking about the history of debutantes for... Our listener Amanda Hendrickson, who is also one of our um, regular supporters on Kofi, if you would like to join her, because we appreciate them.
0: Yeah, you can do that at historyasexy.com. Yeah. Because you can do everything else. It's actually a very good topic to be following up matriarchies, because it is, it is a very patriarchal System, it's
1: profoundly patriarchal. It
0: is um, all about keeping property where you want property to be kept. <laughs> and ideally not near women. <laughs> yeah. And Amanda asked
1: us this because she is a costumier in the States, I think in Texas. And if you Google her, then you can see the costumes that she made and that she makes and puts on her website for the Texas Rose debutante ball festival.
0: We can put a link in our show notes as well because they are incredible. Yes, when we looked them
1: up, we were both just like, oh my god. Like, (laughs) there's a stained glass one which will blow your mind. (laughs) We're like, well, on the one hand, this is not anything that I ever associated with debutantes and it turns out that debutantes have a whole American history that I did not know about and is fascinating. (laughs) Because I think Maybe like most people, although you said that there's Debs and the Gilmore Girls, but like, I think a lot of people, I kind of associate it with British society. My first thought was the Mitfords, like that kind
0: of... It's sort of like, it's it's kind of means almost the same thing as like a socialite, like a young woman who exists to be interesting in the papers.
1: Yeah, and I also it happens a lot in Agatha Christie novels. Like, there's a good few Agatha Christie novels about girls who have come out.
0: Yeah, yeah. <laughs> there is my all of my understanding about the debutante American thing, where it's like a specific ball where a bunch of young women wear wedding dresses and dance with their dads, is from TV. Like, there is an episode of The Gilmore Girls where, yeah, Rory Gilmore does it to make her grandma happy, and it's yeah horrifying and um, weird. Yeah, the American side of it has been
1: eye-opening to say the least. Yeah. So the way I have structured this, I was like, oh, this will be a nice, like, fairly simple one. No, I've ended up with 4,000 words worth of notes, (laughs) which is, I think, the most I've done in a long time. I don't know how it got this long. Most of this I'm going to be, like, we've both read the same book, which is one that we, is the only one that we could find that was like a a history of the debutante that wasn't Mm. just focused specifically on London during a 50 year period, or wasn't focused (laughs) on London during a two year period, because there's ones which just were literally like 1939, or, and a lot of them are London during the post war, or during the war, or in the 20th century, and very little that deals with the concept of debutantes more widely.
0: Mm.
1: Largely, I think, because it's been taken for granted, just completely not seen as something that complicated. So the book that we've worked is The Season, A Cultural History of the Debutante* by Christian Richardson, who is an American. I don't think she's a historian. <laughs> And so she's very good, as far as we can tell, on the American stuff, which she clearly has. She was a debutante. She has specific experience of it.
0: I think she didn't do she didn't do that actual ball thing herself, but she knew a lot of people that did. And she's yeah. been to a lot of them and she's reported on them, I think, and has been to like a huge wide range of different ones, like the sort of New England ones and then the ones in New Orleans and Texas and all of these. Because there's a lot of very specific different traditions in different places in the yep. States, too.
1: Yeah, so she seems to be good on that stuff. She does tend to do things, like as Janina just pointed out, she gets George the First and George the Second confused.
0: No, George the Fifth and George the Sixth.
1: Oh, George the Fifth and George the Sixth. And you know what? Who doesn't get those two confused,
0: actually? (laughs) Because no one actually cares about George the Fifth. He's basically irrelevant.
1: I forget that George the Fifth exists, to be honest. (laughs) It's a struggle to think of anything that he ever did. But so she does have her moments, but we're working with her anyway, because this is what we've got. And we're hoping that I have I have a book in which I spelt a person's name wrong every single time. Um, and <laughs> uh, in my last book called a woman called Plakina, Plakina without the N um, about mm. a thousand times. So, <laughs> And somehow that got through a, so many rounds of proofreading.
0: <laughs> you can't proofread every mistake out of a book. Yeah. You cannot. Even if you had more time to do it than you usually do, which is like a couple of months, you get can't, a couple of months. You can't get rid of. Uh, well, <laughs> <laughs> I get given like seven days. <laughs> no, I'm talking about like the whole process of like oh, it being yeah. proofread by a bunch of different people, and you know not just you there. Author. yeah
1: but yeah so i I am gonna let her off a, a single digit but <laughs> there's the occasional thing but still i like her narrative so we're gonna go with it with the caveat that this all comes from this one person
0: and because yeah, no one cares about what happens to women in history turns out so very few yeah. people write not that many people history's about it apart from you apart
1: from me <laughs> yeah. by my book. <laughs> so What we're dealing with here is two separate issues that become blurred together and then kind of scatter across the world with the British as they go colonising places. (laughs) Which is, the first is the idea of presenting a young woman to the monarch and being presented as a debutante to the king or queen of England, Mm -hmm. which is a thing that the aristocracy do. And the other part, is being presented to society. So coming out into society because coming out up until the mid 20th century had a very different meaning (laughs) than it does now. And so when we say coming out here, we're literally talking about they were young women were brought into adult society and were dressed up as a woman for the first time and presented as adults to the society with a capital S, which means so the social elite of whatever country,
0: yeah, which would normally just happen at any old ball that was happening, would be your first ball, and that would be you come out. If you were very rich, your parents might throw you a ball yeah. for your debut, but most people are not very rich, so it would happen at someone else's or at one of the public balls in a place like Almax, which was a public but very, very exclusive and rigidly controlled
1: have to say, Aumac's genuinely fascinating as it's a concept. so
0: interesting. Because I like so much the
1: general idea of coming out and being presented and the kind of ball culture. So part of the season is, uh, is just balls and teas and dances. But if you do, either can't afford to have a ball in your house or you have a country house, we don't have a London house or you just haven't been invited to a ball that night, then you can go to these assembly halls, which is what assembly halls are. Um, And I was like, oh, that's what an assembly hall
0: is. This is Um, also how I found out what, not this part, but the presenting to the monarch part is how I found out what a drawing room is. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Which we'll get to. <laughs> and so p- women mostly ran these assembly halls like tiny little fiefdoms and would like make lists of people who were eligible to come. And if you had been unmarried for more than three seasons as a man, you were considered to be like a chancer and a cad and not allowed to come to them because you were just copping off with girls. And all these lists about like, what men are suitable and whether they can be trusted with a girl in a taxi.
0: Well, we should, I think, clarify at this point that the whole point of this, of these high society balls, is to rigidly control the young people who are allowed to meet each other and get to know each other so that you don't have people running off and falling in love with someone who would make an unsuitable marriage. So you want to keep your titles and your wealth within this very small pool of people that you have deemed suitable yeah and that is why it sort of sprang up to to stop you know your daughters from running off with you know the groom and by, by which i mean someone who looks after your horses and your or your um your sons like chasing after some forlorn you know actress
1: yeah we'll do a kind of chronology so we know where we're standing so there's two parallel tracks the first is the development of the season as a social seizure than a marriage market which is what Lord Byron calls it the marriage mart and the other track is the presentation to the monarch which starts very tiny and gets enormous like enormous it all starts with the reformation as (laughs) everything does everything does (laughs) so 1536 to 41 you have the dissolution of the monasteries which has huge amount of impact for various reasons and henry the eighth has declared himself the sovereign who is the only the head of the church in england he has taken all of the property owned by the church for himself he has and doled it out to lots of aristocrats as well yeah but lots of aristocrats got lots of land out of this, but they also lost a very useful thing, which was a place to stash excess daughters.
0: <laughs> I, this is, I find this fascinating because surely there must also suddenly have been excess sons. You know, you didn't have monks anymore either. No, because you can still send a, a son to the priesthood but and the, then they get the, an income. But the Church of England, they, they they're not celibate, so those sons can still marry... Yeah, but they still get an income as a yeah. from the church, and also
1: you can give them a profession. They can go and be a lawyer. They can go and be a doctor. So,
0: but you would think there would be equal numbers of like sons and daughters that might have gone into a monastery or a nunnery and who are now out and single. No, because
1: men you can find a different use for if they're not the eldest and they're not going to inherit. They were always difficult anyway.
0: No, I know that there's uses for them, but yeah. they still are going to want wives.
1: No. <laughs> Apparently not. But anyway, you don't want your daughter to marry the shit second son. Like if your daughter is the is lady whatever, yeah. you don't want her to go and marry the shit vicar son of that guy over there. Like the rubbish fourth son of John. You want her to marry a good one. Yeah, that's true.
0: Is always, it's always trying to get the quality husbands. Exactly.
1: And it, all of this is about hierarchy and about maintaining social status. So if you marry your daughter off to a rubbish son or a yeah. son who is a lawyer or a doctor or something and... It, that might dilute your yeah. your status cuz now your lovely daughter has a working husband instead of a when he, she he should have been marrying like useless unlanded untitled middle class girls as is right and proper for lawyers
0: <laughs> this is also a specifically english thing right like european yeah. royal families and aristocracy titles are everywhere if you are the son of a baron it doesn't matter if you're the younger son you still get a title and a yeah little you bit still of get to
1: be a something
0: but in england it is all about the firstborn son and no one else gets anything so you yeah you drop off the the titled thing rel- like really really quickly
1: yeah and if you have daughters you need them to be kept into the life they're are accustomed to and you need them to live and if they're going to be out and about in the world then you need them to be enhancing your prestige as well you can't just dump Mm. them on somebody yeah and so you need to find a way a kind of Basically, marriage becomes way more important for people who have daughters because they now need to marry off way more of them than they needed to previously. You can't just put them somewhere. And about the same time during in the middle of the Reformation, Elizabeth I introduced the practice of women being presented to her court. Because she very tightly controls who is welcome at her court. She is very concerned about who she is allowing to be her ladies in waiting and whether they are going to be obedient and well behaved and or whether they're gonna go and run off and get married and do something <laughs> bad and she would have to like break their hand or something. <laughs> So she introduces this kind of informal practice of having girls come who are aristocratic girls. This is all about the aristocracy and about titled landed people. They can come to her and she will go off to a drawing room and meet them. Which at this
0: point in time is called a withdrawing room because she would withdraw to her private (laughs) room and take the girls with her for a little wee chat. Was this your mind blowing moment? It was mind blowing that it's <laughs> a drawing room is just we've just elided the with. Yeah. And it used to be a place to which you withdraw.
1: Yeah. It's mind blowing. It's amazing. Yeah. So she withdrew <laughs> with these girls, decided whether she liked them. If she liked them, then she would um, welcome them to court. If she really liked them, then she would maybe take them as a friend or an intimate or would make them a lady in waiting. Or if she didn't like them at all, then she could just banish them from court and they could not come and hang out with her or any of the other aristocrats and they would have to go and live in the country. Yeah. (laughs) Which is a lot, to be honest. But this kind of continues in a sort of desultory way of like as a way of controlling who is in the court. Obviously, following Elizabeth, we have the Stuarts who have their own situation going on. And then we have the civil wars. And then we have people are distracted, to be perfectly honest. There's <laughs> just more important stuff going on. There's just a lot of very important stuff going on. Until yeah. around about 1740s, 1750s, when two simultaneous things happen. The first is that non-aristocrats start getting rich. And you start getting a gentry and a, a merchant and banking class who have become preposterously rich. Like eventually they will be much, much richer than the landed aristocracy who own land. But they have earned their money rather than inherited it. And mm-hmm. they also are not titled and have, do not come from a good family.
0: And are not saddled with a massive country house that is constantly spru- <laughs> springing leaks and, and rotting away. Yeah, exactly. Away, it's it's disgusting.
1: Who You can't marry somebody who doesn't have a rotting country pile that you can only <laughs> live in two rooms of. <laughs> so... At the same time that this happens, in order to kind of control where aristocrats' money is going, and because girls keep running off, and boys, to be fair, keep running off with non-titled people and getting married without their parents' permission, and this is causing chaos because land is going all over the show. (laughs) It's getting split up. People are getting titles that they aren't entitled to or that they feel they shouldn't be entitled to. It's all very much a panic about... People from unknown names, or people being rich and trying to be aristocracy.
0: Yeah, the whole way down, right from here into when we get to the American stuff, is very much about controlling who gets to be a part of this in group. Yeah, which is rich, entitled, and moneyed people. Yeah, not titled in America, obviously, but definitely moneyed and yeah, you know, with the right, with the right kind of manners, and that. It sort is of thing. entirely
1: about that, and in England, for first thousand years it has been that if you have a title which is can only be granted by the monarch and can only be passed down to one child within the family and is very tightly controlled then and you have all the land you have all the money you have all the access to the monarch you're the only people who are allowed to be in parliament and all of a sudden factories were invented and everything's going wrong
0: (laughs) factories invented international trade becomes possible yes it's all everything's upside down (laughs) topsy-turvy
1: yeah and now there are people who haven't even been to the right schools and don't know which (laughs) fork to use and
0: they're trying to marry my daughter
1: they're not emotionally crippled
0: because they haven't been to (laughs) Eton yeah So
1: this is all basically that episode of Blackadder 3, which you might not have seen, but where Edmund tries to marry the prince to the daughter of a mill owner because she is very rich (laughs) and as the only daughter of the very rich mill owner and George Prince George has lost all his money.
0: Yeah, because he's constantly gambling.
1: Yes, and wearing enormous trousers. So that episode is describing this period. Um, (laughs) And So in response, the Parliament introduced something called Hardwick's Marriage Law of 1753, which was still going in the 20th century, which meant that women could not marry before they were 21 without the consent of their father or guardian.
0: And they were always trying to get women married off before they were 21. Like, 21 yeah. is on the shelf.
1: Where 21 means you can... marry, Like, if you've t- made it to 21 and you have not been married off by your father to somebody, then you can go and choose your own husband. But you can no longer be 17 and go off and marry somebody unsuitable. Yeah. Which meant that fathers now controlled their daughters much more than they did previously, which meant that they controlled much more of where their money went previously. And they were also having a massive panic about um, what the right kind of people were. Mm -hmm. And so this came together to create, um, during the reign of George III, idea of the social season where all of the aristocracy would kind of come together in London for the period between the closing of Parliament in May and the opening of Parliament in August and do 12 weeks of incredibly intense balls and showing each other their daughters and saying, do you want her? Do you want her? Not you. Do you want her? And girls would have to be kind
0: of dragged around a million balls and parties and, and then shown... the next day after each one they would have to sit at home and see if anyone called on them and yeah. brought them flowers or anything like that.
1: Or if anybody was going to bring them a calling card and then or they would have to do a round of calling on people with the calling cards and the da 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 da. Mm-mm. What this means is that you get this this very intense during the Georgian period, a very intense period which opens with Queen Charlotte's birthday ball which begins at the very beginning of the reign. In 1780 is when the first Queen Charlotte ball is. And that starts as like the informal opening of the season. Like that's the first ball of the season. Nobody can do anything until that has happened. And there was a scandal at one point when somebody held a going a coming out ball of their own on the 1st of May. And everyone thought she was disgusting <laughs> because she was hurt that it's not until the 17th of May that it starts and you can't hold a ball before Charlotte has held hers. And then that continues. And then it ends when grouse season opens on the glorious 12th
0: of august and everybody goes back to their country pile so they can do some hunting
1: yeah and so now we have a season now we have this marriage market where people are doing this and you can come out at somebody else's ball or your ball and what it means is that you are a child before that like or in an ideal world for the aristocrats you have a child who is kept in the country. She's schooled at home. She is at 15, 16, 17, sent for six months to a finishing school in Switzerland where she learns how to curtsy and dance and which cutlery to use and what to call people and whether you call this person my lord or my lady or my highness or like all of the like (laughs) ludicrous etiquette rules of aristocracy and how to pronounce maudlin and how to pronounce keys and like the correct way to do everything. And then she comes back, is put in a nice dress and is shoved into a party. Yeah. And now she's an adult and has to do loads of dancing.
0: <laughs> and like the main season is London, but there are lots of little mini seasons that you can, yeah. if you worry about your daughter, if she's a bit awkward or she's, she, you, you're worried that she's going to fail, then you can bring her out in somewhere like Brighton or Bath yeah. first, where it's a little less pressure, it's a little less formal and she can be a little more free to make some social faux pas and it won't ruin her reputation the way it will if she did something like that in London.
1: Yeah, because if you trip over a ball in London or you're at a ball and nobody signs your dance card and you spend three dances standing by yourself, then you may as well just die. because like, committing some kind of social faux pas, unless you are very, very pretty or very, very aristocratic, your season is ruined yeah. and you will never get married. The ideal is that you will be married by the end of your season or you will be engaged by the end of your season. Agatha Christie got 10 marriage proposals during her season, which I think is great. Um, it's great. <laughs> that happens, but obviously the second that... Everybody works out that all the aristocrats are meeting up in London and having balls. Other rich people who are not aristocrats want to get in on that because now they're like, oh, hey, cool all of the aristocrats are in one place, I could marry my son slash daughter to an aristocrat. They're all just in one place looking for husbands. If we know the rules, we can afford to send our children to the same school. We can afford to send them to the same finishing school. They can learn the rules. They can go off there. And so almost immediately as a practice of aristocrats meeting aristocrats, it's ruined because non-aristocrats can also have and go to parties which is where the being presented to the monarch comes in because then it becomes a sign of true aristocracy or a sign of true proper connection and breeding that you have been presented to the queen.
0: Yeah. And there are all sorts of rules to sort of preserve that. Like you have to be invited by someone who has already been presented to the Queen. Yeah. It's all very much you have to be welcomed in by someone who's already in. Yeah. And so like so the process
1: officially which it gets kind of codified during the Georgian period and then really like Goes bananas during Victoria Because she seems to really like it for some reason (laughs) Although she immediately Stops going as soon as Albert's dead She stops having them presented to her And makes her daughter do it She stops having any fun
0: at all as soon as Albert's dead So
1: So she's like yeah I'm really into it We should let loads of people do this And then it's like 20 minutes later It's like not me obviously (laughs) You, you do (laughs) Um, But yeah, So the process is a woman who has herself Being presented to the monarch Writes to the Lord Chamberlain To notify that she wishes to present A girl And the Lord Chamberlain writes back And says yes or no But usually yes And then says This is a date you can come And this is how many ostrich feathers You have to wear According to your rank Could you wear one, two or three Ostrich feathers in your hair Depending on whether your father Or the person who has nominated you If you're not landed yourself Is a duke or an earl Or a lord So or like you know what rank they are so you then go through months and months of preparing yourself so learning how to curtsy learning how to hold yourself right learning how to speak to everybody learning how to not flinch or move or react in any way if a pin pings out of your hair and jabs you in the eye you're also getting
0: an extremely
1: expensive one use only dress made. yes this is the original white dress this is pr- kind of pre-victoria inventing the white wedding dress the being presented to the queen as a deb or the king as a deb is the original having a dress that you will only use once.
0: The colour thing is also part of, there were just seemly and unseemly colours for a young unmarried woman to wear. You were expected to wear sort of pale colours. Anything bright, anything dark was for older married women or women yeah. who had given up on marriage and, you know, <laughs> yeah, didn't care. Lots anymore. of pale
1: pinks going on. Yes. But, yeah, but the kind of one-use-only dress with a big train of initially, although they change with kind of fashions. And then you arrive on your day and you line up and initially... Everybody is presented together when there's not that many of them. Um, And you're presented in order of your father's rank in front of everybody. So starting with the lords and working down. So if you're at the bottom of the list, then you are at the bottom of the social hierarchy. And everybody is watching these early ones, these kind of up to about Victorian period. Everybody is there watching. And you watch the girl go up. You watch her do a curtsy. You watch her... Talk to the queen. If the queen, like, reacts in any way, then that is immediately noted and spread around. So if the queen, like, smiles or if they chat to you and like, oh, I like your dress or how's your father or whatever, then you are, like, stratospheric in terms of this is going to be your season, you're going to be the queen of the season. Or if the queen or king is like, eh, or if you do (laughs) something monstrous, like, you know, let your hem touch the floor, or your curtsy is bad, or your hair falls down, or, or you
0: sneeze, or <laughs> 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 Yeah,
1: sneezing, you, I, uh, it's over. Sneezing,
0: coughing, not allowed.
1: Absolutely not allowed. And then afterwards, that you're kind of all. Ranked and judged and stories are spread about you. And this becomes kind of a tourist attraction as well. Like people like to come up to the city and watch the girls going into Buckingham Palace. And that grows and grows and grows. Victoria lets basically anyone who wants to come in. My favorite thing that I learned for this episode was that there were women who made like impoverished aristocrats who made their living off of nominating girls for presentation in exchange for money.
0: Yeah. So if you could just hire someone <laughs> and like also women who taught them how to behave as well. Not all yeah. girls can afford to be sent to a finishing school. So there were these little old maids who could who could give you a few pointers for someone. Yeah.
1: And dancing schools and yeah. would get you to practice curtsying and a whole business created around the season almost immediately. And a whole business created around presenting girls. Because as soon as you have an exclusive thing, Everybody wants it and it will go trickle down to as far, you know, to families half bankrupting themselves to launch their girls into society to find a good husband.
0: And it, which also becomes this sort of damned if you do, damned if you don't, because if you are bankrupt as a family, if you don't have any money, one of the only ways you can hope to get any is by marrying your daughter to someone who does have money yeah. or your son to someone who does have money. So you kind of have to keep up with this extremely expensive <laughs> thing to have a hope of restoring your finances.
1: Yeah, especially in an aristocratic world where work and business is considered to be disgusting and yeah. like actively shameful. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, so one girl called it a hallmark of quality. It was a demonstration that you were a quality girl with from a quality family if you were presented to the queen, which means that everybody wants it and it just grows and grows and grows. And by the time you get to the kind of late Victorian period, you have women, so many women that they have to do it over various days. And there's one description that I read of it from like 1863, 537 women were presented in a single day. <sighs>
0: Oh, that is exhausting. They had
1: six hours of queuing outside Buckingham Palace.
0: And then you're expected to walk in fresh as a daisy as well. Like, yeah. you can't be sweating after waiting your six hours in line oh see this is where it gets really funny because they're like they wait for six hours then you get inside and while you're
1: outside like tourists are there they're coming they're having a peek in your carriage to have a look at what you're wearing to judge you to see how you're looking so what's going on and everyone's talking about you then you get put inside and then there's another two or three hours of waiting inside <laughs> during which time there's so much scuffling to try to get to the front of the queue because the, there's too many people now to be doing it in order of rank everybody is just and there's not mm. enough actual aristocrats so but just everyone's at the bottom <laughs> of the queue so there's lots enough scuffling that people's like hair is being destroyed like dresses are getting torn <laughs> like there are people like pushing to get to the beginning of queue like it's like being at disneyland uh, and eventually you get there and this girl is like so you get there this has been like your entire life is leading up to this point you are 16, 17 years old you have been trained for months for years in how to do this in this moment you give your invitation card to a footman who shouts your name and then puts it in the bin in front of you and then <laughs> pushes you through a door <laughs> and then 10 seconds later it's over <laughs> and you're just like and that is your whole life has been this moment you've seen the monarch or the like monarch's representative and then you've kind of fallen out the other door and you've gone I I don't know why (laughs) (laughs) and then you you shuffle away but you can say forever for the rest of your life that you were presented to the Queen or that you were presented to the Princess of Wales and that you therefore have a slight edge over the people that didn't unless those other Debs these other girls who are coming out are prettier than you in which Mm. case you're largely fucked yeah yeah. Because the second hierarchy, which you can't really do too much about, seeing as they heartily frown on makeup, is who is the prettiest. Yeah, And there are lots of ways of demonstrating who is the prettiest. So the Queen Charlotte Ball has this whole thing, which is really funny, where Queen Charlotte dies and they just keep her birthday party going because everybody enjoys it so much. <laughs> to the extent that they have this ginormous cake that all of the girls who are debuting who are chosen to debut or to be debs at this party and invited they get to push the cake or walk behind the cake and if they're the very prettiest they get to stand in front of the cake wow yeah and then they, they all kind of stand around the cake and do a big curtsy to the cake <laughs> <laughs> there's a lot of this and then there's also a thing called the Barkley dress show where girls model uh, like the debuting girls, girls who are coming out are chosen to model clothes for fashionable people. And if you are the prettiest, the way that you know you're the prettiest is that you get to close the show with the wedding dresses.
0: I mean, that is the only... That's all anyone wants, right? If you are a girl, what you want is just to... Wear a beautiful dress and feel like a yeah princess for a night,
1: which is basically, as far as I can tell, the only reason that this still keeps going because the lure yeah. of wearing a pretty dress and looking like a princess is so strong that even though, like most of the girls that to still do this, seem to be a bit like, eh, I don't really know why I'm engaging in this, <laughs> but mostly I just want to wear the dress. <laughs> yeah, and I read this book. It's called Confessions of a Rebel Debutant, which is by a wee girl who was not chosen. There is a society in Charleston who are like the St. Cecilia Society, or like one of the oldest Southern societies that mm-hmm. do Debs. And she was not chosen that year because she was considered to be too rebellious. And basically it's about her really wishing that she had been. <laughs> and it's kind of fascinating. But yeah, but there are all these parties like the Queen Charlotte Ball, which have these performance elements where the girls will all do a dance with their dates or where they will put on a performance of walking and curtsying and being on display and having to learn to do very specific things Hmm. which obviously is mostly there to make everybody who does not do these specific things or does not know how to do these specific things or does them badly feel bad yeah And in England, this just kind of grows and grows and grows until basically it is ended. I say basically, it's literally ended in 1958 because Prince Philip thought it was weird.
0: (laughs) I mean, it had been through a rough half century, right? Like it didn't didn't exactly flourish during the wars and became sort of, I think in the press, subservient to the idea of just like dashing about town, being daring and risque. So it didn't have the PR... (laughs) Clout that it used to
1: Yeah It's kind of ruined By two things One of which is American heiresses Who are far richer Prettier And more fabulous Than everyone in England Especially during And after the war When they are going Through rationing And American like Whiskey heiresses Keep turning up And being delightful (laughs) (laughs) The final girl To ever be presented To the queen was a woman who was a Canadian whiskey heiress, mm-hmm. and there were in the last year 1,400 women presented. Which I oh, see
0: this. Is, I reckon that's why Elizabeth got rid of it. She was just like, "This is exhausting. Yes, I can't be doing this."
1: Princess Margaret, being Princess Margaret, God bless her, the terrible nightmare that she was. <laughs> said her exact words were, "We had to put a stop to it. Every tart in London was getting in." <laughs> And it's the kind of person she was referring to, I suspect, were women like Sandra Seagram, who mm-hmm. was a Canadian heiress She had a great season, though. She was 17th of July, 1958. She was presented, not to the Queen, because Queen was tired, <laughs> but she was presented to the monarchy. And then she was married by the end of that season. She got married in November that year, married a nice Italian man, and then they lived to Rome, where she had two children and lived there. And she might still be alive. The last... Mention I could find her was when she gave an interview in a magazine for a non-Catholic cemetery in Rome that she volunteered at. Oh, Yeah.
0: Oh, well,
1: good for but her. But they're the kind of person that Princess Margaret didn't like very much.
0: Yeah, because, I mean, she wasn't part of the royal family.
1: <laughs> exactly. But basically, like, 1958, you're coming up to this point where the aristocracy is all poor basically and they've all had to get jobs. Marriage now does not really mean the same thing like there, there have been laws which mean that women can inherit properly now mm-hmm. and their Hardwick law no longer exists although that is in a lot of Agatha Christie books but in the 40s that is ended so women can get married before they're 21 now without permission. <laughs> they Women can vote they can go to university they can have jobs they've had jobs throughout both wars and more importantly to i think in 1955 rebel without a cause invented the teenager yeah and what you have with gentry like aristocratic and gentry classes is the season that period is supposed to be your intermediary period between childhood and adulthood you get 12 weeks maybe like a year
0: Um, And now suddenly you're getting a whole adolescence instead. Yeah. And it's also, I think, I wonder how much also the wars and the post, like the 20s, it became much more easy to meet other people just because of the way the world was operating. Your social circle wasn't confined to people who were in your class or who were in, who your parents knew. You wanna once you realise that there's a more interesting world out there, <laughs> you don't wanna go back to
1: like Yeah. And after the twenties, like when you can travel. Yeah. And you can travel much more easily. Uh, around europe and around the even around the world then what you find and what a lot of like magazines so tatler keep going on about the season for a very long time and magazines like that they start complaining that their sets have grown up like at the turn of the century you get because you've got things like the bohemian set and the Mm -hmm. coffee set and the arty set and that it's not just one season where everybody hangs out with one another. Yeah.
0: And also, after the wars, everyone felt up, a little bit weird about servants because <laughs> they've been fighting alongside them and, and suddenly and you can't do a season without a huge amount of servants no you do need and you need an enormous amount of servants but you also need a huge
1: amount of disposable income and a huge amount of disposable time you need to yes. be able to take weeks out of your life in order to do a season properly it is a
0: full-time job doing a season which surprised
1: a lot of people there's a lot like various writings from kind of late Georgian early Victorian women who are like So going to balls is my job now. Like, there's nothing to do during the day, really, except talk to people. And then I go to a ball. Like, you want me to go to another ball? (laughs) Yeah.
0: Basically, you get up, you have breakfast, you maybe go for a stroll in the park, and then you come home and get ready for a ball. Yeah. And you go to the ball, and that is every day.
1: And then the ball is, like, regimented, and there's rules about, like, how many, you know, dances. You have to have the dance card, and you have the... Dinner is served at a certain time and everything, everybody could. um, You
0: can't dance with the same person more than twice. Yeah. Unless you are engaged to him, in which case maybe three times is okay.
1: And there is a chronic lack of men involved in these because men can go to university. Men can choose not to be here. (laughs) And so a constant problem that is being dealt with throughout the entirety of the time where there is a season is total lack of men. (laughs) <laughs> and desperately trying to scrub up men, desperately trying to and like there was these there was one list that I found that had like l- lists of like men and little marks as to whether they could be trusted to be alone with girl <laughs> mm-hmm. like is not safe in a taxi, you know, and all of these kinds of things. Because the network is eternal. Yeah. And also, but there are so few men as long as they've not murdered a girl, you might still need them.
0: (laughs) (laughs) This is one of the things that's actually extremely accurate in Bridgerton. The brothers are always off somewhere and they have to be persuaded to come to balls, whereas the girls just have to go. And
1: this is like passed around, like women who are holding balls. And they're always putting up invites and posters in like medical schools and law schools to try and invite Men who would be are not completely terrible but might want to come to a party, so it's not just the same five men. And if a man dances too well, then everybody knows he is a bounder because it means he's done too many seasons. <laughs> So ideally, you want a man that can't dance very well. So it's going to be rubbish because, like, if you're dancing with someone who is dancing well, they're probably going to try and put the hand down the top. But if you're (laughs) dancing with somebody who might be an eligible husband, they should ideally be rubbish. And so it's going to be a rubbish... And you're going to have
0: a terrible time.
1: Yeah. So that is a very kind of brief overview of, like, what debuting is in England, which is deranged, obviously. (laughs) (laughs) But it's largely about trying to keep the aristocracy great and not let it dilute for as much as possible. But it travels out to the colonies of the British Empire with the British, largely because people who go to the colonies still look to England and the English aristocracy as the creme de la creme of the world. Mm -hmm. And also, there is a Deb culture in Australia, but I couldn't find a book about it, and also if we do every country then we'll be here for a week so sorry australians
0: i don't know if there is one in new zealand i would be very surprised
1: if, i don't but... think there is one in new zealand but there does seem to be quite a strong one in australia yeah because i could did keep finding articles about it but the problem with articles is that they assume that the reader already know like already did a like undergraduate course in this and so they never tell you like the basic stuff. They're super useful for the details. Really annoying for broad strokes. So we're going to talk about Mostly America also because I suspect that this is where it is the weirdest because Americans when they're doing stuff like to do it as big as possible.
0: Yeah. And I, I feel like they overcompensate for they throw off the monarchy <laughs> but they're obsessed with the monarchy. And this, yeah. it's a very strange dynamic that I think leads to this excess. And there is also like because the American debt system again was rooted in this this deep drive to keep money and land and power uh-huh. in the hands of a few people which is harder to do when you are trying to establish a democracy so you have to be (laughs) really really rigid about it
1: and so a really great way to keep all power in one place and to create a social hierarchy that says these people are the people who should own land and these people are the people who aren't is to invent wild and complicated and impenetrable rules of etiquette Mm -hmm. And then have secret societies who choose (laughs) who gets to know about the etiquette. (laughs) And American Debs, both North and South. So this is largely on the West Coast. They do now exist all over America, but they originate on the West Coast for fairly obvious expansion reasons. (laughs) Although I did, oh God, I watched a video of some Debs doing a curtsy in a California debutante thing by the daughters of the American Revolution Club that seemed to be taking place in a kitchen <laughs> like, I don't know how to describe it, it was like a, the world's most depressing conference hall and I just made me want to cry. so they do exist in California, but it was it was it was just very. i'm sorry to the girls who had to put up with that because over in the east coast they have things that were built at least in the 1800s and so they are doing things in nice buildings for the large part but there are two tracks of development first is in the north philadelphia and boston and new york and the second is in the south and they are different because in the north They have cities and they can have something like a season where you can go to each other's houses and have balls. Mm -hmm. But in the south, what they have is plantations, which means everybody lives very far away from each other and the cities do not grow in the same way. And so they can't have parties where everybody's going to each other's house every day because they would just spend all day traveling.
0: So instead, you have to invite people to stay. Like, that's yeah. what ha- what's happening at the beginning of Gone with the Wind, I think, is like everyone is staying at one big house and all the girls are sleeping on one room, exactly. in one room on the floor because that's the only way you can have a proper party.
1: Yeah. And then all the men have to sleep in a barn. Mm. And so you have that. And then you, that evolves into having these events outside of the house and focused on a specific time. And so in the South, what you have is lots and lots of. These things which are now like half festival, half carnival, half social season and half beauty contest, (laughs) which are overseen by secret all male committees with secret membership lists where you have to be chosen to be in it. According to certain rules by the people who were already in it. And no one really knows who is, but you have to be one of the old families. And so you have all of these very strange, creepy little orders and societies, which are all men who are like prominent men in the community, rich men, who choose their daughters and who is going to be debuted. And these have evolved into these massive fiestas. So Fiesta San Antonio is a really big one. Mm-hmm. A very famous one is the Order of the Veiled Prophet.
0: Which I feel like goes viral every so often because people find out that Ali Kemper was yeah. like their ball queen one year and because it's an organisation that was founded by a Klansman <laughs> and th- that Hoods looks like Klan Yeah. Rooms.
1: So the Veiled Prophet Ball is from St. Louis which is so hard for me to call St. Louis.
0: But I have to... <laughs>
1: Deliberately not call it St. Louis. So it's St. Louis. It doesn't exist anymore because, like, it was always too controversial and too deeply weird. But it was started in 1878 by a guy, name is brilliant, called Alonzo Slayback.
0: (laughs) It's very good.
1: And what happened is in 1877, there were these massive general strikes in St. Louis and riots, and people were killed. And it just really seemed like the working classes were getting above themselves. And so to reinforce the social hierarchy, Alonzo created this thing called the Veiled Profit Organization, mm-hmm. which is a secret organization
0: who would It's not their secret, though, because you just assume that all the richest and most powerful men are in it.
1: (laughs) Yeah. And the Veiled Prophet is this character which is taken from an Irish poem by a guy called Thomas More, which is a deeply racist poem about a Veiled Prophet who is disfigured and hides himself. And the first ball that they had, had the Veiled Prophet arrive, and he chooses what was then a bell of the ball and then got called the Queen of Love and Beauty. (laughs) And he looked very precisely like a clansman due to bearing a white hood and some white clothes. Yeah.
0: And due to also just being a clansman. Yeah. And it was super
1: racist. <laughs> In their mild defense, they did drop that fairly quickly. And all other images of the prophet look somewhere between like Merlin and Moses. And it's largely a big old beard because they realized quite quickly that looked bad. But they have had an extremely dubious history and were very, very racially segregated, which Mm what a lot of these ones in the South were, and all of them, when you look them up, like... The first black woman allowed to enter was in 1992. <laughs> <laughs> and like they are very clearly tied up in the history of the South for obvious reasons. And there are all these things like working out what was going on with the Fiesta San Antonio was interesting because it now appears to have a beauty contest element, but it also has their deb's element where they choose a deb queen and then they have her. she has a court of 12 women and that person is chosen by the secret society but then because there was quite a lot of pushback over the years about the fact that it just always really suspiciously looked like a white girl who was very blonde (laughs) (laughs) they now have like six Queens Who are Come from lots of Different charitable Organisations So they can make The Queens
0: look like A United Colors of Benetton
1: Exactly And it's And there's a Huge carnival situation
0: It's connected to The Alamo Yeah And And the St. One is connected To a state fair as well Like there's always A lot going. And state fairs If you haven't been To an American state fair They're intense They are massive They cover such A huge amount of land So (laughs) many different Things going on I've only been to One once And it was Terrifying, and you is, get to see some weird chickens and then go on a roller coaster. And it's, you know, it's my secret
1: dream one day to go to just loads of them, mostly because I watched a program on Amazon Prime with mutual friend Phoebe once, which was exclusively a competition based reality show about people creating foods for state fairs. Mm-hmm. And if you won, then you got a booth at like the Iowa State Fair, I think. and. They were always just like, so we made this. And then one guy would always be like, can you put it on a stick? (laughs) And It would be like, it's deep fried macaroni and cheese hamburger on a stick. I Yeah, I do. I really want to eat that. (laughs) And it was the greatest show I've ever watched. So that made me believe that my true home might be Midwestern State Fairs. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, so they're connected to these, but there are also all of these like ritualized events around them so this list is from Confessions of a Rebel Debutant which is associated with the St. Celia Society of Charleston which is a very old very kind of prestigious one where the debutants are chosen and invited from amongst eligible families which means that you are rich or have lived in the area for a very long time or well connected and that you are kind of morally pure so mm-hmm. you can't be have have a reputation or a tattoo or a piercing or like that you have to be chosen as being of like moral character according to their rules she says something very good which is that it helps to have roots because southerners are all about lineage tracing it talking about it and defending it
0: Mm -hmm. and that's (laughs) what this is um, there was a huge burgeoning growth in this after like the civil war right because yeah. losing a war leads to a bit of a cultural identity crisis and a way to come through it is to really double down on tradition and uh, yeah. have some nice pomp around something and it doesn't really matter but makes you feel better about yourself
1: and a lot of them are started between like 1850 and 1890 like mm. <laughs> in these like this specific period And so you have like these meetings, you have dinners, you have mother's meetings. Everybody has, all the debutantes throw a party. You have dance rehearsals every week. You have an art ball, a mother-daughter ball, a debutante ball in each town. You have like, it's just constant. And then also a lot of them, because they are now charitable, they're on the Fiesta San Antonio website. There's a bit where you can request one of the queens to come to your event, like, and they will turn (laughs) up. Also, you have to, if you're in Texas, learn this curtsy. So, this is the Texas Dip, which is a specific kind of curtsy which is done exclusively in Texas. And Texas is famous for this particular kind of hugely elaborate and impressive curtsy. Okay, go on. Houston, Texas.
0: It's wild. She just folds up.
1: She folds in thirds. (laughs) And I will put this in the show notes because I watched it about a hundred times, and then I watched some videos about how to do it, and then I tried to do it, and just I could only do it with something to hold on to because basically you like she folds in thirds.
0: (laughs) Yeah, she's wearing a floor-length skirt, so you can't see what her legs are doing, but she just it's like she seamlessly just sits cross legged and like folds her and puts her head on the ground but in an elegant way <laughs> and then comes back up again and comes back up hands free just like yeah. drops
1: the down. leg strength is insane and when you watch it like base like when you watch girls doing it without the dress on cuz they they just have to train in this over and over again then it, you, they kind of put one foot leg forward and then go down on one knee and then if you do yoga, they basically go into a cow leg pose and then bend over and that is the best way that I can describe it, but they do this <laughs> and they get training in this. But I read this rebel debutant one where she's basically just very sad about not doing this because although she knows in her heart that it's ridiculous and like being chosen by an overtly patriarchal, elitist, often overtly racist, hierarchical institution to be presented as an eligible woman to all of your dads is horrible. (laughs) It is, one, a profound like family tradition for a lot of people to have their girls do this, but also she says, like you know, I want to be a Cinderella. I want to have my moment. I want to be paraded in front of a crowd in a pretty dress and I want to be admired for my beauty and my poise and I want to have Rep Butler tell me he loves me and I can slap him across the face and I want <clears throat> to be a social elite and it's, cause it's a special thing that only conservative girls from like special families can do and so to be able to do it does give you like still within that scene gives you like a little bit of a... The little gold star that other girls don't get.
0: Frankly,
1: my dear, I don't give a damn. And you do, much like a wedding, like get your day, If but you get a whole year worth of wearing an amazing dress for a start. Like these dresses are... I I was originally calling them drag dresses, but I realized that this is the reason why drag dresses are the way they are. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Like they're not copying drag queens. Drag queens are copying them because they are like, they weigh like 50 pounds. They are beaded they are huge their hair can touch heaven their their wedding dresses but so m- many of them are that's for the presentation but then they have ball dresses and they yeah. have dresses for various different ceremonies and they are elaborate and i want to wear a pretty dress
0: <laughs> I pre- if everyone wants to feel special sometimes and there is something in just spending a whole lot of money and effort and time in just a moment where you get to go up there and say look at me i exist
1: yeah and i'm pretty yeah. <laughs> yeah, there is a separate thing that happens in the north, and I very briefly want to mention Ward McAllister, who is a particular kind of American that only existed, I think, in him and Truman Capote, and he <laughs> near single-handedly created the the New York social scene in the eighteen sixties with the help of Caroline Astor, who is the matriarch of the Astor rich Astor family.
0: Mm-hmm. Mary and Mr. Ma- being the most important member just because yeah. she's hilarious.
1: <laughs> and he kind of comes out nowhere. And he does not have family connections. He's from the South, but he appears in New York and starts writing newspaper articles where he basically tells everybody that whatever it is that they are doing is wrong. And he's like, if you have a fork that's got this kind of tie you may as well just throw yourself in the bin. Or, like, if you're wearing your hair like this then you're the least fashionable person I ever saw and it becomes what they call a social arbiter where basically people start to really care about his opinion on what is fashionable and what is elegant and what is socially elite and what is not because he just keeps telling people them <laughs> and it turns out if you just show up with a lot of confidence and go oh <laughs> that's not fashionable people will believe you <laughs> mm-hmm. And he links up with Caroline Astor and between them, they start a series of balls and cotillions at hotels where girls are debuted and presented, where each invitee had to be personally invited by being called on by one of them. And McAllister creates a list called the 400, who he insists are the 400 people in New York City, the only ones who are fashionable
0: and... You would really want to be on that list, wouldn't you? You would like, so want to be. I don't even care list. about fashion, but I would want to be on that list. And for many years, people care very
1: much about whether you were on that list and whether your daughter is going to be invited to a Astor McAllister party. And then he wrote an autobiography called Society as I See It, where he spilled everybody's secrets and they never spoke to him again. <laughs> <laughs> it's
0: this iconic.
1: It is. And it's like, wow, that's just exactly what Truman Capote did. <laughs> And yeah he ruined his Like somebody was like Do you want to write an autobiography? He was like Yeah sounds brilliant And then he said What he actually thought about people And yeah. ruined his own life It's beautiful <laughs> Yeah And then finally Because there is this Kind of offshoot Very specific offshoot Where the only place Where a social season Still exists As it might be Recognisable to A person from the 19th century Is Austria Mm-hmm the only reason that I could find that this exists that anybody would give me is that after the Napoleonic Wars, Viennese people were bored.
0: <laughs> I mean, that is fair.
1: Because they do not quite have the same thing with aristocracy and they do not have like a closed aristocracy. Basically, after the Napoleonic Wars, everybody had had a great time in the Napoleonic Wars, apparently. And so they just <laughs> started a ball culture. <laughs> and... Oliver, who produces and edits this show, lives in Vienna with his wife, who is Austrian and who knows quite a lot about this thing because it is a huge part of like Vienna (laughs) and (laughs) Viennese, like of Viennese life, which is that over the winter, there are 400 balls which occur in Vienna. That's so many. Yeah, most of them have some kind of debutante element where they choose girls to wear white and be presented. And most of them are run by either a guild of the city, so they're put on by professional associations. So Mm -hmm. the two that Oliver and Babsy mention are the Confectioners Ball, not doing the German, because I respect Germans too much.
0: (laughs) No, um, I'm going to do it because it looks funny. ball.
1: Zuckerbakerball. ball. And the physicians' ball, so doctors and confectioners, mm-hmm. <laughs> and lots and lots where people learn how to dance, where people will then do choreographed routines, where people are either selected or are, they can apply to be a debutante, and you then have to learn how to dance properly and all these things. And like the big, big, big one is the Opera Ball, which is the official state ball of Austria. And it is a huge and very, very expensive thing where being chosen to be a debutant for this is still like a a real mark of social elite because you get to be the the whole thing is broadcast on the telly Mm -hmm. in Austria.
0: Not just people who are there but everyone everywhere gets to judge your dress.
1: Yeah and if you want to go so in 2022 the Opera Ball came back after two years off and they paid loads of journalists to go to it (laughs) because if you google I just found tons of articles from right wing publications (laughs) where they let journalists go And they had a brilliant time, (laughs) and so, yeah. So there, there's lots of information in there that you can get. You can get a ticket to watch the dancers, like just to stand and watch for Mm -hmm. like 380 euro. But if you want to eat or sit down, then you have to go into a box, and a box costs minimum 13,000 euro. Ooft. The most expensive is like 23,000 euro, but that's just to watch and eat, that so you don't get drinks included. Um, <laughs> uh, but you can watch the dancers waltzing, doing their dances, and they are like the most privileged people like they're only choosing you know the children yeah. of, of ministers and celebrities basically but you do get if you are chosen to be one not only do you get to be on the telly and wear a beautiful dress and do a dance and everybody looks at you and thinks you're pretty but you also get a Swarovski tiara wow just to yeah. keep just to keep <laughs> You can never wear it anywhere else because. (laughs) Well, I mean, I think you can wear it just around the house. (laughs) I mean,
0: I definitely would. I would wear that while cleaning. Babsy says that apparently it's
1: very common for these to be worn as uh, wedding tiaras. Mm, that makes sense Because why wouldn't you And then they have a Specifically right wing one Which is called The academics ball Which I feel is rude To academics But that has been Completely <laughs> taken over By the far right Wow <laughs> Which they do Sword fencing As part of it Which is weird But fun. Because the far right Are weird But they yeah. have I was like Why does this exist In Austria Like why does this Whole thing Like ball after ball After ball Obviously pe- the same people Do not really go to All of them But there must be Some crossover And as far as I could tell It's just pure concern
0: <laughs> Which is such a shame because if it wasn't, like, I would love I would love to have had a year where I just went to lots of balls when I was 18. It's like, I would have had a blast. Last,
1: that largely was what I did, I think, the year I turned 18. Mm-hmm. Except it was uh, sticky metal nightclubs in Brighton. <laughs>
0: That's basically
1: Shout out to the Gloucester, to anybody else who grew up in Brighton in the uh, early 2000s. <laughs> it's now a gastro pub. <laughs> But so the best thing that I read of it is that one, it's like super fun to do if you are just kind of there, but it is a kind of a social prestige thing, like a conservative social prestige thing. The one that I read in the FT was like, no one was on their phone all day and everybody was doing their hook steps and heel turns. It was a <laughs> product of a culture where dancing lessons are as intrinsic as any other normal class. And I was like, ah, mm. conservatism. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> It does sound quite fun. Apparently, it goes on to like five AM, and they've got a disco now, so you don't have to waltz all night.
0: But oh, that's that's nice.
1: Don't know if it's thirteen grand fun.
0: Yeah, that's that's a bit that's a bit excessive.
1: Yeah, but it's um, like yeah. this idea of being presented to society as part of a social elite in order to demonstrate that you are a social elite, which is hugely onerous for the girl being presented. Yeah, and not really for anybody else. <laughs> Still continues to this day. Yeah.
0: But what's interesting is like the idea of there being a dead ball that is just a dead ball rather than like people being presented as part of a season yeah. seems to really be a post war invention, trying to hold on to some of the pomp and circumstance of the past, even though the purpose of it, which was to launch people into a season, <laughs> yeah. to shop around for husbands is completely vanished now. So yeah. it's, the book who both read it made the comment that a lot of them, the fashion, this is definitely what you see in like... Gilmore Girls right the New England ones the fashion is very stuck in the 50s too Mm. like this is when they became important and this is where they are and you go to a string of classes to learn how to do the dances and there are afternoon teas with all the girls to prepare for them and then you just have this one thing and you dance with your dad and (laughs) it's kind of extremely weird yeah Uh, and it isn't attached to any of the other elements
1: yeah it's completely detached from the idea of marrying <laughs> because yeah. most of these girls will go off to university or will get a job or will or have a life that there.
0: Is... like some of them are coming home from university to do the dip ball yeah and then going back and
1: yeah At the very end of that book she goes to the international which is like the big new york one that still exists and one of the girls being presented as a debut is a russian international tennis player
0: <laughs> yeah
1: who for some reason, because rich people love this stuff. There's one in Paris as well, which was started in the nineties. The um, and- Le ball. Label, yeah, and it's invite only, but primarily invites the children of celebrities. I think so that the person who runs it can meet celebrities.
0: <laughs> yeah, I mean that's why I wouldn't. It's like him. I want to
1: meet Job Apatow. Let's do invite Job Apatow's daughter. Like, yeah. <laughs> but the ball, like Queen Charlotte's birthday ball exists again now because it was restarted again in the nineties, and a lot of this stuff reappears in the nineties because of this like backlash against sixties, seventies liberalism and as conservatism has reared its head like people have brought back Queen Charlotte's Ball as a kind of let's get back to our proper roots when girls were proper girls and boys were proper boys yeah. and we did proper dancing and we didn't listen to things like black music Yeah, and you're like eee I don't know why you would want to bring this back it sounds like you want to go back to a time that didn't really exist for yeah. reasons you, don't, that have I
0: don't, have to, you don't, don't have to make it about shitty things you could just be like you know what would be fun a ball I'm going to throw a ball <laughs> so everyone can dress up like a princess And that's enough. You don't need to be doing it because you're worried about increasing socialist ideals.
1: Yeah, although I reckon if you ask them, that's what they'd say it was, and they wouldn't. They'd just be like, yeah, it's because it's a ball and it's fun. You'd be like, is it, though?
0: There are also, like, uh, countercultural deb societies as well. Like, there is a burgeoning black deb society in the US, which is interesting because it's in its inception, it is actively not just, like, throwing a ball so that, you know, black people can also have one but it is opposed to a lot of the ideals of the traditional white conservative yeah. ones as in it is not exclusive the point is you can anyone can
1: anyone can join welcome it. and they don't um, have a secret society picked
0: no <laughs> it's a complete counter response to to it which i think is a lot more interesting and
1: yeah and of course this is what you know drag balls are drawing off of in their yeah. 80s and you know being um, this like, a kind of performance element of these balls then turns like become that. that's the root of what becomes drag balls which then becomes report Drag Race
0: which is beautiful take everything that's fun and makes you feel pretty and leave behind all the yeah, terrible just politics
1: make it celebratory yeah alright hopefully that is a good a good history an overview generally of debutantes and <laughs> how neither Janina or I would ever be posing to be one <laughs> If anybody wants to give us a chance to be pretty, then
0: yeah, we we love a chance to be pretty.
1: Yeah, and I didn't wear a white dress to my wedding, so
0: you wore an amazing gold dress. I did wear a great gold dress, incredible.
1: One day I'll find another chance to wear it. But yeah, yeah. So next time we're going back, 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 back to the past, (laughs) and we are going to go back to my timeline, the time (laughs) when I'm the most comfortable, when things are complicated in Latin. And we're going to talk about Boudicca because I think I must have mentioned at some point on a podcast that Boudicca is a literary construct, which she is. And so <laughs> lovely Grace TM or Thiem has asked, how is Boudicca a literary construct? Yeah. So I'm going to tell you the story of Boudicca and how everything you know about her is wrong. <laughs>
0: It'll
1: be fun. It will be fun. Incidentally, Emma appears in episode six of The Queens
0: That Changed the World, currently on channel four. Talking about Boudica. You yeah. can find the show notes and links to the amazing dresses and to the bizarre curtsy at 60.com You can support us there. You can ask us a question there if you want us to research something for you. Yes. It's, yeah.
1: All of our it's, links are there. All
0: of our links are there. Everything is there.
1: Yes, Oliver has set up a Discord if you want to join that and then talk to the Oliver and talk to other people who know us. That link is there. You can follow us on Instagram now. Yeah. It's a thing I know how to use. yeah. Buy us a coffee, buy a t shirt.
0: Yeah. yeah, all those things. One of these days, we're going to refresh merch stop when we both have a little bit less on our plates. So if you have any requests yeah, for what then you think let us know, cool, then let us know
1: as well. If you would like to design us a t shirt, then also let us know and we'll work that out. Yeah, because <laughs> none of us are visual artists. <laughs> but until next time,
0: Janina. Bye. Bye.